want to welcome you to our series, and it's called Empowered. And the idea behind this graphic is, is that the Holy Spirit comes down on us, moves through us to do what it is that God wants to do, right? That's what we're learning about. That's what we're going after here. And we're going to take some time on this. Don't know how long it's going to last, but we're going to take time on this so that we really do as a body come to know the Holy Spirit better, come to know how he moves through us better, and come to be moving better. So the thing that we're going after today would go something like this. How would you like, at work, with your friends, wherever, how would you like to minister in the Holy Spirit, to have the Holy Spirit ministering through you without there being any fear on your part whatsoever? Would you like that? No worry about whether or not you were going to get it right or wrong. No worry about whether or not you were adequate to it. No worry about what they might think. See, not all of those other things that come into play. I want you to think about something. The first time I ever took Julie skiing, uh, Vail, Colorado, uh, over Christmas, uh, we were, we, you know, I took her to the top of the mountain because Vail's kind of less steep up top and more steep at the bottom, unlike Rockies, most Rocky Mountains. But what happens is, is that I get her on a green slope, which green is the easiest one, and then it turned into a blue, which is blue as, but, but Vail's blues are pretty wimpy, so it was okay. In fact, it's actually sometimes when you're skiing, one of the hard things is you've got to have some motion and you're afraid of it, so you get tangled up. But if you've got some downhill, if you've got some gravity working for you, it's a little easier to do. But then all of a sudden, I missed it, because there was certainly a sign there and certainly a way to not get there. But all of a sudden, I, I just went over this little thing, and we were in the middle of a black diamond. And this is the first time she'd ever been on skis. So I'm, I'm sitting down below her, and I'm going, oh, my gosh. First of all, I cannot tell her what green, blue, and black means, right? You get that, right? Because, <laughs> you know, that's the end of our relationship, okay? And, and so I had to figure out what to do. And all of a sudden, this uh, thing came to my mind. It's Yvonne Lendl. How many people remember him? He was a big-time tennis player back in the day, right? And Yvonne Lendl used to give lessons when he was younger. And he would give lessons to these wealthy, out-of-shape women. And... <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm not saying all women are out of shape, and I'm not saying, I'm just saying these wealthy, out of shape women. And what he would do is, is they couldn't even hit the ball, right? They couldn't do anything. I'm sure I stepped in something badly, and thank you for helping me. But what would happen is, is that what he figured out is he figured out, if I, if I, if, if I teach him, you know, get him to thinking about the stroke and all, they can't ever hit the ball. But if I get him thinking about me, in other words, if I get them mad at me, if I get them so mad at me, that they quit thinking about what they're doing, that they end up just doing it. I'm going to need help on that. Do you hear me? So the point is, is it what I'm, and, and so what he's saying is, is he's saying, look, and he's saying all of a sudden they're rifling shots back at him, and they've never, you know, they can't play tennis. And he's going, this really works. So I'm sitting there down below Julie, and I'm going, okay, <laughs> let's try it. So I just started yelling things at her, you know what I mean, and telling her, that, rah, rah, rah. And, I got, and I was doing it so incessantly that she was mad at me, if she's in here, you can raise your hand and say, yes, I was mad at him, but, <laughs> see, okay, yeah, there you go, see, and I got her so mad at me, that pretty soon, you got to know Julie, first of all, she's fairly athletic, and second of all, she is stubborn, okay, I mean, you know, you may think of her as all angelic and everything else, I know better, okay, there's a stubborn streak in her. You know what I'm saying? And so she just got mad, and she just started doing it. 
And I mean, by the time we got to the bottom of that black, and it wasn't very far, maybe from here, probably twice the distance from the, of this building, so it wasn't that long of a slope. But at the very end of it, when it bottomed back out again into a blue or a green, she was skiing. So I immediately took her down and did opera ski. We did one run the whole day. And I took her down and I did opera ski with her, which she likes a lot. And so we had a lot of fun. And then the next morning, I took her up and I thought to myself, you know what? I'm just going to forget about the greens, and I took her right to a blue, and she was skiing. I mean, really, that's the fastest I've ever seen anybody learn how to ski. But what worked? What did it? I got her not thinking about herself. I got her thinking about just doing it. You see what I mean? Her, your body knows what to do. You know what to do. So I got her just doing it. And I'm going to use one more illustration on this, and I, I'm going to do it because I need it a little bit later, but I want to show you something. How would you like to take a great picture? How many of you take great photos? Raise your hands. If you think, I take pretty good photos, right? See how few hands go up? Most people are like, I do not take good photos. I hate myself in a photo, right? I'm going to teach you a little trick right now, how to take a great photo, okay? I just want to show you one, for example, okay? Now, to take a great photo, here's what you have to do. You have to not think about yourself. Moreover, what you have to do is, you know they say the camera loves that person? What that means is, is when that person's looking at the camera, they're not looking at a camera and they're not thinking about, do I look right? Is my smile right? Are my eyes right? Are my, you know, blah, 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 blah. What is happening instead is they're looking through the camera at the person who's looking at the picture. Just like this. See? That's how you take a great picture. I want to show you something here. This is, I think this is a soccer player, and he's gone through something bad. Now look at that photo right there. Look in his eyes. Can you see that? Do you see him thinking? Something just has happened. I think he just got not named captain, and then they took a bunch of pictures of him. But do you see, do you see how he is? He's particularly look at what it would be his left eye on the right-hand side here. Do you see how you can see him thinking about himself? I don't know how you, could, I don't know how you would see, say that, but when I see that, I see him. He's not looking at you. See what I mean? He's thinking inside, and we can see that he's thinking inside. So that's not a great photo. Now, I'm going to show you when they say the camera loves. Now, you see, now there's, a, there's a model doing what Julie did, who was also a model, but anyway. But the point is, you see what happens is, is, that, is that person is looking. There's no camera. There's just me and the person who's looking at this. See what I mean? It's passing through. Do you see that? Now, here's what we're saying for the sermon today. Don't think about yourself. When you do, you become inward focused. You wrap yourself around the pole. You can't ski, you can't play tennis, you can't take a good picture. When you start thinking about yourself, you can't minister in the power of the Holy Spirit because you're bottling it up inside. What we're going after today is, is how to replace the thinking about yourself with something that will you won't even, you won't even care about thinking about yourself. We're going to give you something to think about when you're ministering in the Holy Spirit that there's not even, there's no thought of you whatsoever in it anymore because you're so focused on this other thing about what God's doing. See that? That's where we're headed today. All right? Do we have a prayer? Okay. Lance. Oh, that's awesome. Lance, where are you? Thank you, Lance. Okay, pray for the sermon. Pray for another church. I need a clock. Lord, uh, thank you for this beautiful morning you brought it to us. We don't get the, many of those in Seattle. Um, Lord, I just pray that you would speak through Kurt this morning, that you would 
that we'd hear and that we'd act and that we'd realize that the church isn't just this building. It's in all of us, and it's where people are going to come to meet God, and each Amen. of us is a church. And, Lord, I pray for Overlake Christian Church. Amen. That they'd also be hearing your word today and be moved to act. Amen. That we all be acting in the world by your will. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Great prayer, Lance. Thank you very much. All right. So where we are is we're in Luke. We're in Luke chapter 2. Remember, we're not reading Luke for everything that's in there. We're reading Luke for the stuff about the Holy Spirit that's in there. So as I get to Luke 2, 8 through 9, I'm reading about what's our sermon supposed to be. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. Now, the thing that the, thing that the speed bump, the one that got me, that made me start thinking was, the Lord's glory. So what we're going to talk about here for a second, for quite a bit, is what's the Lord's glory? What is it? And in order to understand what the Lord's glory is, we actually have to answer first who God is, or more accurately, what God is. See, when we think about God, here's what we have a tendency to think of him as. This is Sistine Chapel, right? And this is God, and he's got the white hair and the beard and everything else. Interestingly, by the way, when Revelation describes God, or describes Jesus, excuse me, that's what he looks like, right? The, the white hair and the beard and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, bottom line is, we picture God the Father like this. And what I want to say is, is what that means is, is we picture him as an embodied spirit, right? We picture God the Father as a, as a corporeal, right? And we know he doesn't have a fleshly body, but he's got to have some shape, right? I mean, God's got to have some sh shape, right? An outline of him, like, you know, if he cast a shadow or something, right? Or, you know what I mean? There's got to be like some outline about this is God, and then just on the other side of this little barrier here, that's not God. That's how we think about it, right? So God has got to be this, this embodied or this shape or this outline or this, this something that's like how we think because, you know, we always tend to think anthropomorphically, which is to say that we give it human characteristics. Whatever, it's an animal when you th usually think of that. But the same way with God the Father. When we think of him, we think about him, like I say, in terms of having boundaries, essentially. Now, I just want to tell you that actually what the Scripture says is, is that God is spirit. Now think about this. When you think of the Holy Spirit, do you think about him as having a shape and an outline? Do you? You don't, do you? Well, God's the same spirit that the Holy Spirit is. He's not a shape. He's not an outline. See, I, I love, by the way the, way, the message puts this. God is sheer being itself, spirit. Sheer being. He just is. See what I mean? This whole shape thing is something quite different. This whole shape thing is something that he created in order that we would be spirits inside of a body and so on and all that kind of stuff. But the fact of the matter is, is that when we look at God, when we look at his appearings, when we look at times that God shows up, we never get any kind of shape. In fact, did you know there is a place in the Bible that describes what God looks like? Anybody know where it is? Then I looked, this is Revelation 4, I looked and oh, a door opened into heaven, the trumpet voice, the first voice in my vision called out, ascend and enter, I will show you what happens next. 
I was caught up at once in deep worship, in the spiritual realm, in other words. And oh, a throne in heaven with one seated on the throne. Now, one seated on the throne. Was there a person that he's talking about? Or was it this? Suffused in gem hues of amber and flame with a nimbus of emerald. If there is this non outline shape being who is seated on the throne, so to speak, but he's not got shape, how are you going to describe him? What's he look like? Well, that. Jim Hughes, amber, flame, nimbus, emerald, lightning flashes, thunders crash from the throne. It's this fire. In fact, you, you know, there's a lot of times that God actually shows up. Here, here's another one, okay? Uh, this is very beginning of the Bible. The Lord says to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud. This is after they've been delivered from Egypt, and they're now, so we're, we're 1,500 years before Jesus, and they've gone down to Mount Sinai, and God is going to meet with Moses. I'm going to come down to you in a dense cloud so the people will hear when I speak with you, and will always believe you. So they're going to see something about who I am. See? So the Lord told Moses, go to the people, consecrate them today and tomorrow. They must wash their clothes. We're going after a holiness here. Look at, look at what God does when he's saying, you got to understand something, folks. Don't come too close to me. If you do, it's a problem. See, consecrate them today. They must wash their clothes and be prepared by the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. See, who's coming down? The Lord's going to come down. Put boundaries from the people all around the mountain and say, be careful that you don't go up on the mountain or touch its base. Anyone who touches the mountain will be put to death. No hand may touch him. No animal or man will live. When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they may go up to the mountain. On the third day, when the morning came, there was thunder and lightning, a thick cloud on the mountain, and a loud trumpet sound, so that all the people in the camp shuddered. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was completely enveloped in smoke. Think about the throne imagery that we just did. Okay? The smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain shook violently. Remember the lightnings and crashings of thunder. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain and the Lord summoned Moses to the top of the mountain and he went up and later on he says, the glory of the Lord settled over Mount Sinai. In the view of the Israelites below, the glory of God looked like a raging fire at the top of the mountain. You see it? Here's another time when the Lord shows up. They do the tavern, their temple. He did it in the tabernacle too, by the way. When Solomon finished praying, fire descended from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests were not able to enter the Lord's temple because the glory of the Lord filled the temple of the Lord. All the Israelites were watching when the fire descended and the glory of the Lord came up on the temple, came on the temple. They bowed down. Look at, look at what they did. They, they hit the deck. <laughs> In the presence of God, in his glory, they hit the deck. They bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground. They worshiped and praised God for he is good, for his faithful love endures forever. When, when we start talking about God like this, and we see throughout the Bible over and over and over, the way that the Bible talks about seeing God. See, we think of Jesus when we think of seeing God. And we think of Sistine Chapel and so on. 
But I want to propose to you that when the Bible talks about people seeing God, it has an entirely different image in mind. And the image is, this is our actual son. Actual images of our actual son. This isn't fake. This is actual pictures. And, and what I want you to see here is, is, God said my fingerprint is over. Is Everything I created, my fingerprint is in it so that you can know who I am by looking at what I made. And this is, I want to suggest to you that this is what God looks like. You want to know what he looks like? Well, we just showed you a whole bunch of times from the beginning to the end of the book. And when every, time, every time anybody ever saw God, what'd they do? Hit the deck, right? Even these shepherds in our nice little Christmas story, there's a little verse that we actually don't quite get, do we? Because what happens is they were terrified. <laughs> they were terrified. We get this, you know, trumpets and, oh, let's go look at him. Oh, see what I mean? But no, they were shaking in their boots. They were, oh. In fact, when we talk about God like this, I want you to understand, there's other ways that the word glory is used in the Bible. It's a very, very rich word. But when it talks about God's presence like this, and I'm arguing with you to, to a large extent that when the Bible talks about God's glory, it's saying him, that his glory and his presence are the same thing. That he is that glory. That's what he is. And a lot of times when the Bible is talking about this kind of thing, what, what it's talking about is it, it, it's meaning to bring us into a place of, oh my gosh, <laughs> if this were to hit me, if this were to do something, if this were to, you see what I mean? If this were to hit me, it, it's the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord, says the Bible, right? Do, do, do you see that? The beginning of wisdom is fear. Did I say fear of the Bible? What did I say? The beginning of wisdom is fear of the, of the Lord. Did I say that? Sorry. I, I just want us to think, see, when we think about God, God is sheer being itself, spirit. What do we think of? What's the image that comes to our mind? I'm trying to replace the image that you have of white hair and corporeal, of even just spirit. I'm trying to replace it with a more accurate presentation that God himself gives us. You see? I'm going to show you an illustration of this. To, to, I want to show you something here. So I've asked for God to come forward. So God, could you come forward? Okay. All right. <laughs> but Bruce, I never said anything to you. No. <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> Bad joke. <laughs> Love you, brother. Love you. Now, I want to propose to you that this is, this is God, okay? And if you know Bruce, you know that's not that far from the truth, okay? Now, what I want you to do is, is I, want you to think about, I want you to think about Bruce as being this, okay? Now, I do, want you to think, I do want you to understand one other thing. Because he's spirit, that means he's other dimensional. We talk about this a lot here, so I'm not going to go into it again, but it just means we live in height, width, depth, and time, four dimensions, okay? The spiritual is another dimension, and, and the Bible's been saying this since the very beginning, and it's only been in the last, what, 50 years? Not even that long, the last 40 years, that science is now saying that the, the, all the good work in physics is going on about the fact that there's other dimensions. So they recognize that there's other dimensions and that they actually exist. They really are right there. There's just no way for us to perceive them, okay? So there's this thing of... Can that other dimension, if God is in the spiritual dimension with angels and so on, how do they suddenly appear? Well, watch. See, here's God. Now, here, now I need you to suck in the air and become really skinny. 
Super, super skinny. See, just really, really skinny. So that if you're looking this way at him, okay, what you see right now, he becomes so impossibly skinny that he becomes, it, it goes skinny, 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 and then bloop. So that when he's, when he's faced like this, you cannot see him. He is right there, right? But you just can't see him. And what I want to propose to you is, is that when glory shows up, when the glory happens, what it is, is, is that God does this. He sort of just tilts a little bit this way. Glory. Let me show you. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elijah. So you see, so Elijah's being surrounded by this army that's trying to capture him. Now, don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than are on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open that servant's eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses, and there's that fire again, chariots of fire. See, it's like, a, it's like, it's, now, I don't want to suggest that that's God's glory right there. That's actually something different we're going to get to in a second. But I want to suggest that when, he, when God does this, and even though, what is that? Maybe that's a 10% turn, let's call it, right? So that's not much of a turn, but can we say that a 10% turn leads to the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounding them to the point that they're terrified? Because the glory of God, and by the way, look at what it says. The radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. It wasn't the radiance of the Lord's glory over there, is that they were suddenly, right, it was like this, see? Because God's always, always right there. And then what he does is, he goes, and we see him, see? Now, I want to say, let's just say it takes another 15%, so he's like, he's at a quarter turn right now, and, and this would be that Chronicles one, right? where the Lord descends in the temple and it fills up the temple so much that the people can't even stand to worship. And even at only a 25% turn, I want to argue something along the lines of that's enough to make us fall at the ground. See, th this is Isaiah. When he sees the glory of the Lord filling the temple, when he's being called, he sees it. And what's his first reaction to it? I'm undone. What's that mean? I love it. It doesn't mean I'm scared. It means I'm coming apart. <laughs> I'm undone. I'm falling apart. I'm going to, you know what I mean? I'm, yeah. <laughs> Was that good? Okay. I saw, I saw Johanna laugh at that one. So I apparently did a good description on that one. Okay. All right. So, and I want to say, I don't know if the throne in heaven was yet another bit of a turn, but here's what I want to say. A throne set in heaven with the one seated, suffused with gem and amber and so on. It seems like that's probably something like this. And yet we're going to see in two seconds that it isn't actually. It's still, even then, is not the fullness. Okay? So I, I hope that helps to understand when the glory shows up, it's God who is everywhere present, just all of a sudden going, shoo, and just even that little bit is like, drops us to our knees, thing lights up, we're like, oh my gosh, wow. Okay? Thank you. Okay? Now, that's who God is. But there's another place where we start talking about the fact 
of us coming to the Lord as Christians, as ones who have been made new by him. So does our, you know, the old flesh and all that old nature, when it gets close to that fire, it burns up. It does burn up, right? But there is this new nature, this new creature, if you've accepted him, that comes close to him. And it doesn't just come close to him. It actually goes into the middle of that glory. This is in the end, right? Then I saw heaven and the new earth. Old heaven, new old earth had disappeared. Old stuff, the old flesh, all that stuff was gone. Okay? The sea was also gone. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now amongst his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And what does that actually mean? It means that we will be in him. There was no sign of a temple for the Lord God, the sovereign strong and the lamb are the temple. This, so we're in the temple. The city doesn't need sun or moon for light. God's glory is its light. The lamb is the lamp. See, it's the glory. Of, we're living in the glory of the Lord. There's no need for sun or light or anything else, and there's no shadow. There's, it's just everywhere present around us. The nations walk in its light. I want to say something. If that's all true, why aren't we freaked out? Because it isn't about the flesh. See, the old is gone. The stuff that can't take his presence is gone. And when we come to know God like this, when we come into his presence, into him and into his glory, what we discover is, is that God is love. Right? This is what we who have the Holy Spirit living in us have discovered about him. He loves us. And by the way, not just us, he loves these people that he's trying to minister to through us. Right? He loves. God is love. It's not just spirit. He's not just that fireball. He's love. We cannot know God unless we know both his holiness and his mercy. We cannot know God unless we know his glory and his love. Because glory is off-putting. Glory is remarkable. Glory is striking. Unless you have nothing to fear. And then it's glorious. We get raptured, enraptured, caught up, right? Consuming fire. I want, to put that, I want to put it this way because here's what I think is so important for us is those who want to be used of the Holy Spirit to be ministered through to get to somebody. Here's what I think God's trying to say. I think that when we minister, we minister from a place of love. That's really good, isn't it? Right? You, you know, if you come to the Lord, if you come to people and you tell them, you're just a dirty, rotten sinner and you're a horrible person and you have hatred in your heart for them, how successful are you going to be in bringing them? Actually, you know, this verse right here says, if you don't love, you don't know God. <laughs> you have that in your heart, you don't know God. This is those people that stand on the street corner and say all these hateful things to people that have lost their sons and so on, right? The Westboro Baptist kind of mentality. That's not God. What God is doing is, is he wants to reach them. He wants to touch them. He wants to, he's trying to do something with them. And so we minister from a place of love.
And so when we are at work and we see somebody who God has prompted us to minister, we think God loves them and somehow I've got to show them his love. Right? And then we start thinking about, but what if they don't accept it? But what if I don't know what I'm doing? But what if they ask me a question that I can't do? But what if they, but what if they, but what if they, but what if, and now we're backing away from what he's called us to. Because we're afraid. Because we're bottled up. We're not a pretty picture. We're not looking through and getting to. Do you see it? And I think that this is what the Lord wants to tell us today. He wants to say, I am love, and man, you need to minister in love. But there's always a thing in the Lord where it's, he's many things at one time. And I think what he's trying to say to us is, is, do you realize that I'm also this? Because when you minister to them, is this the image of God that you have in your mind? That he's going to touch them with his power? That he loves them and wants to touch them with his power, his glory? That he wants to make himself known to, to shift, if even it's 10%, whatever it is, so that they can see him? Is this how we minister? We don't think of God this way, do we? Because we have Jesus, and Jesus was love, and, you know, all this kind of stuff, right? And what we're doing here is, is that we're lopping off the thing that would make us aggressive. Let me put it this way. If, you, if you're walking through your work, and you, like I've told you, you know, when you, when you stand up to go to the water cooler, bathroom, whatever, just think to yourself, is there something you would have me do? right? Just keep my eyes open. Most of the time, it's fine, right? Nothing happens. But keep my eyes open and just send me, right? And then as you go, if all of a sudden God prompts you to something, if you think of, your, if you think of this, God loves them and God is a flame, is burning to touch them. Now, what are you thinking about right there? Are you thinking about yourself? You're not, are you? You're thinking about God who is this glorious in consuming fire that wants to touch them and the only thing he said is I want to do it through you by the way favorite professor all of college a guy named Rod Williams wrote the, wrote the book on charismatic theology he's in Erdman's handbook of Christianity a history of the history of Christianity and, and in that book Rod Williams is identified as the person who brought the charismatic to the Presbyterian denomination so this is a major, major, major figure in the history of Christianity, and he was one of my professors, my favorite one. You want to know why God wants to use us? Rod Williams said it perfectly. He said it this way. He said, when the Holy Spirit ministers through you, there's no time when you feel God's intimate presence more. He wants us to come to know who he is. In love, and power. Do you see it? Thank you. In love and power. Do you see it? This is what he's trying to bring us to, is this place of not just love and then thinking about me, but love and then think about God. Replace the thoughts about you with the thoughts about God. In fact, let me take this all away for you because I just want to show you what God's actually going to try and do with you. Okay? Moses, who went up to that fire on that mountain... He says when he gets up there, please let me see your glory. What do you mean let me see your glory? <laughs> they were all seeing it and he walked right in the middle of it. What do you mean let me see your glory? Moses knew that God had only revealed himself to a certain extent to him. See that? 
Now, what the Lord said is, you can't see my face. See, Moses was asking, I want to see all of you. I've come to know you enough that I know that there's more of you, and I want that more. And he says, you can't see my face. No one can see me and live. But here's what I will do for you. I'll cause my goodness to pass in front of you. I'll proclaim the name of my name, Yahweh, before you. The Lord said, here's, there's a place near me, and you're going to stand on that rock. And when my glory passes by, I'm going to put you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand. You know what? See, so he's put him in the crevice. I'm going to cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I'm going to take my hand away, and you're going to see my back. Just the back. See that? My face will not be seen. You're just gonna, he's just going to see it a little bit. Now, when Moses sees that, of course, he falls to the ground <laughs> and starts praising God. Because just that little glimpse was wow. Either 10% was whoa. Right? Moses came down from Mount Sinai though. I want to argue with you right now that God did a prototype of what he's trying to do with all Christians. Right here. Showed us what he's trying to do at the beginning of the book. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai carrying the two tablets of the testimony, he didn't know that the skin of his face glowed because he'd been speaking with God. Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, saw his radiant face, held back, afraid to get close to him. You ever been in the presence of somebody who, who, who's just been in God's presence a lot? You can feel it, can't you? You just know there's something of substance here, Shekinah glory. There's something of weightiness, of substance, of moment. When Moses finished speaking with him, he put a veil over his face, but when he went in the presence of God to speak with him, he removed that veil until he came out. They would see Moses' face, his skin glowing, and then he put the veil on his face. Why? Because they were scared of him. <laughs> and it wasn't just because his face was glowing, it was because of what they saw reflected back to them, or it's what they felt from what was glowing off of him. And do understand, the Hebrews talks about as a reflected glory, like the moon. The moon isn't light, but it reflects light. And just that reflected light is enough that they're going, I can't take this. This is what it does in me. See? Jesus says in his last prayer, the glory that you've given me, I've given to them. Notice, he's not talking about a reflected glory here, is he? He isn't, is he? He's talking about the glory that you've given me, I've given them. Now, in a very real way, what that means is this. That's what that means. That's what that is. Now, I do want to say something, though, because I want to be careful. There's the glory of the Father, and then there's the glory of the Spirit, or there's the fire that is the Spirit. And so do note something in that passage we've been looking about, about God, and that's all the grayed out stuff. Right after it gets to describing God on the throne, the Father, it does say, seven fire-blazing torches fronted the throne. These are the sevenfold Spirit of God. And what's being said here is, is that God on the throne is glorious, and these colors, and this radiating, and this sun like we're talking about. But in front of the throne sits the seven spirits of God, and that's just a simply a way of saying this. This is going out into the world in every dimension. See, that's the sevenfold. It's not seven different spirits. It's sevenfold. It's that he's going out in every dimension, in every way. The Holy Spirit is going out into the world. And he's the one who's actually coming upon us in flame. 
in the, with the disciples. Okay? So I want to be careful about this, but I also I want to draw the distinction so that we understand the Trinitarianness, but I don't want us to lose the unity in the Trinity. Because here's the unity. God who is glorious and on fire is the Son. God who is the Holy Spirit is also on fire. You see it? It's that same thing. So when he's bringing the Holy Spirit on us, it is that glory that was given unto Christ. It is that glory that he wants us to do. But I want to say, he has made us his children, his image, and he's trying to lift us up this way too, in fact, to the point that it would say it this way. We are, we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord. In other words, we see it but dimly, but look what he's saying. We are being transformed into that same image. From glory to glory. That is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now again, I just want you to catch the feeling. There's a lot of theology right in there that we could, I can't, I don't have the time to do it. But what I want you to understand is, is I want you to get a hold of the feeling. I want you to understand that when you think of God, I want you to think in different terms than we currently do. Not just love. Yes, love. Love triumphantly. But love in power and not power as in, you know, like you see in the movies, you know, you throw your hand out there and everybody bashes up against the wall. You see what I mean? We're talking about the kind of power that is God's presence that envelops a person and does what only God can do in his creative way to that person. This is what he wants to do through us. And I, and I want to tell you this. When I tell you this, this sermon, I'd love to give you a story or two about a time when I was ministering and I felt the glory of the Lord. Can I tell you, I haven't had that happen. I have had moments where I felt God's presence and I ministered in his presence, so I get that. And I have had times where I've seen God's glory to about a 5%. Many of you have seen it too before, right? We'll be in worship sometimes and you'll be closing, you'll have your eyes closed and so on. And then I, I've had God prompt me several different times in this place too and, and other places. And he'll say, open your eyes. And I'll open my eyes and I'll see this just, so, sometimes it's a, a kind of a not light. It's just a fog. It's just a, a dark, it's not dark at all. Uh, what, I don't know, what does it feel like? Somebody tell me, it's like a smoke maybe, right? And you know it's God's presence and you feel it's God's presence. You know that you're standing in a holy place at that moment in time. And sometimes I have actually seen it to the point that he, he went from 5% to 7% or whatever to where I, I it had a light to it, okay? So I have felt these things, but here's what I'm actually trying to say. Jesus tells us greater things than these will you do. We are not doing greater things than he did. The church as a whole is not doing that, and particularly the church in America. The church around the world and the church in America early on, maybe even so on, there's always that initial touch that we talk about. But I want us to do this. You don't have enough faith, Jesus told them. I tell you the truth, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it'd move. Nothing would be impossible. Does it help you like it helps me to think of God in that sun metaphor, in that, in that holy fire metaphor? Does that help to bring you more faith? Does it? I hope so. Because here's what I want to say to us. Albert Einstein says, insanity, doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. 
Can I tell you, I think that we could do everything that we know and never get to the fullness of God whatsoever, not even close. I think what we're doing as a church in general, as we're trying to recapture the things that, are, that were seen in the disciples, I don't, think that, I don't think that recapturing the things in the disciples is the proper goal. I think that God touched us and showed us what it was supposed to look like, and then he wanted us to choose to do it by faith so that what we would do would be greater than what was before. You remember the glory that was in the temple before was not as great as the glory that was to come. I think what we're doing as a church, I think the way that we're trying to minister as a church is we're trying to do what we know. And I think what he's trying to come to us and say is, I don't want you to do what you know. It's not getting you anywhere. In fact, it's, it's, it's not only not getting anywhere, most of the time it's impeding me from getting even to where I would be willing to take you. I think that there is a problem, of course, because James says, even when you ask, you don't get what you want because your motives are all wrong. You want what gives you pleasure. You want it from your standpoint, see? You're using what you're asking for. You're using your faith in a way that has to do with something that you want. And what he's trying to say is, is knock and seek and ask for somebody else. What he's trying to say is, I want you to come before me and I want you to be pressing into me and I want you to come after me in a way that will go to the other person. See it? Here's where we are. I said that we're going to do something different at the end. This will be an easy one. Don't worry about it. Sometimes I don't do easy ones, okay? So you can rejoice right now. I want us to come before the Lord, and I want us to do a prayer of asking him to light us up, to show us his glory. I think we're supposed to be like Moses saying, show me who you are. All of it. So that I can quit thinking about myself and what might work and might not work and backing out of this ministry that you're trying to take me into. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to take a few minutes and, and the worship leaders, thanks, just a couple worship leaders, I hope, right, just a couple up, just a little background music. Because we're going to take about five minutes, maybe a little more. I don't know, we'll just kind of see. But what I want us to do is, is I'm going to pray a little bit in the beginning, and I want us to all pray in agreement with me. And then, and then what I want to do is I just want you to pray right there. Now, if somebody else has a word and they want to say something and they want to say something out, then feel free. Go ahead. Okay? But really what I'm going for right now is, is I just want us to have a holy moment here. I want us to come before the Lord, and I want to say, I want to see your glory. Not for me. Not so I have some circus experience that I can look back on. But because I keep doing the same thing over and over and it's not getting me to the greater things that you have promised that I'm supposed to be walking in. Do you see that? So there needs to be a paradigm change here. There needs to be a game change. There needs to be a holy fire that comes and consumes us. That takes away and burns away all the stuff that's impeding us. So that what can be left is the things that God has. So, Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, this congregation moved upon by you. By the way, if you don't know the Lord right now, I think you can totally enter into this prayer. This would be a great way to come to know the Lord right now. But, Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, we come before your throne right now. What we ask for is, is 
We ask to see your glory. We who have seen bits and pieces of it, God, but it's, we're the woman that was at your table, Jesus. And, and you know, even the crumb is enough to heal my daughter. And we come to you and we say, I've got a brother that has cancer and I want him healed and to live a long life. And I've got all kinds of people in my life, God, that I want to come to know you. And I've got all kinds of people that, right? Everybody, just, just start lifting up the people that you know, you know, workmates and that need healing and people that need the touch of the Lord and people that need a miracle from God. I even think of this precious woman in this church that needs a job. God, in Jesus' holy and precious name, I'm coming before your throne. We're coming before your throne as one. And we're asking you, show us your glory. Show us what it looks like. Show us what it is, actually. Let us experience it, that we can start moving in that power and love. But that we can move in your fullness and not a truncated God not a, a handicapped. God, in Jesus' holy and precious name, we're coming before you, asking you that you would get us up out of our seats, get us up out of our lives, get us up out of our places, get us up and bring us, bring us up, take us to the top of that mountain. God, let us see your glory. Let us know your glory. Let us become those who are being consumed from the inside out and the outside in. That all that is left is the things that you have made. The wood, hay, and stubble being burned to a crisp. God, thank you for burning them to a crisp. And in Jesus' holy and precious name, the things that are there being refined as precious metals until they are pure gold unto you. Jesus' holy and precious name, God. Pure gold, pure silver, pure all of it. God, in Jesus' holy and precious name. Take a time right now. And again, if you get something, go ahead and pray. I'm not really looking for a community. or I, I want it to be a personal prayer time, but if you get something that you think you need to say, you go ahead and say it. But Lord, in Jesus' name, just meet us here. Meet us here. pray in the spirit too if you know how to do that if you don't just pray in the fullness of God thank you Lord. 